0: the Chair 2 Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Danny Smith and Ben South. If you lead from the second chair or you work with those who do, this is a place for you. We're glad you're here for conversations about the church, ministry, life, and how we can serve better for God's kingdom.
1: Welcome to Chair Two Leaders. Thanks for joining us again this week. We're glad to have you listening in as always. Well, and we're also thankful for our sponsor, Central Baptist College. You need to go check them out at cbc.edu. So, Central Baptist College in Conway, Arkansas is a great place to continue your education. If you started college and haven't finished, you can use their PACE degree completion program to get the training, to get the degree, to get ministry training in all kinds of areas or if you know people who are considering traditional schools, CBC is a great place for them as well. We're thankful to have sponsors, thankful for what CBC has meant to me, and I think you should go check out cbc.edu. You'll be glad you did. Well, this week is a great week. This is a continuation of last week's conversation, so if you haven't listened to last week's conversation with john priest about counseling pause this right now go back and listen to the first half of the conversation from last week and then this come back and listen to this week's finish up and wrap up of that conversation so thanks for joining us this week on chair two leaders well john let's just kind of pick up where we left off last time um But I want to kind of switch directions a little bit. We talked a little bit about answering questions, asking questions, assessing people in our counseling. But I remember when I was in seminary and the few counseling classes I had, one of the things they taught us was you need to only counsel to the level of your experience. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about for, for the pastor, for someone who's not a professionally trained counselor, When is it time to pass that off to someone else? When is it more than I can handle? What are some of those things that you would look for? Say, yeah, this is somebody that maybe... It, maybe this is beyond a spiritual issue and it's moved into medical. It's moved into, they need some in-depth counseling for this more than just pastoral counseling or
0: it might be actually a physical medical issue that they're dealing with as well. Sure, that's a great question. You know, there's there's really two ways, I would say kind of two categories of, of uh, knowing that it might be time to refer uh, out of a pastor's office to a more clinical mental health setting. Um, one is that, uh it it may become clear to the pastor who's counseling a a counselee that um there there is kind of the imposition of something that is is kind of alongside the client's will okay um so a lot of times you'll have um and we call them clients i know y'all may call them counselees or you know even just members or or things like that so i'll just refer to to all of them as clients because theoretically um pastors and and myself we're going to be working in tandem right and um so um, uh, uh, so at times clients will have um, these bids that they make to leverage what is shown to them as a, as a strategy to deal with the difficulty uh, that we're helping them through. And it could be, you know, very, um, and of course, all of our techniques would be scripturally rooted, but in terms of like, it, it could be meditating on a scripture as it could be as explicit as that. It could be just sort of um, in a more of a thematic way, utilizing principles, right? And um, one of the things a pastor may notice is that, sort of, despite a client's best efforts, it almost seems like their their brain is is tricking them up. They they just can't stick with it. There's the imposition, really, of, of something that has a force that that um, for them is is greater than their will. Um, Uh, You might hear a a client even um, uh, in subsequent sessions become kind of desperate because they basically have no traction in using the interventions, Um, that the despair of depression, um, that, um, you know, the uh, kind of the hot temperature of their, their anger or responses in a relationship, any of those things, Um, there, there just seems to be kind of this, this third element. There's the principle, there's their will to leverage the principle, and then this thing gets the jump on them. Usually that's a good indicator that they've got something that neurochemically is, uh, is a challenge to them. Um, the, the other thing, uh, kind of alongside that, that may be the same kind of body-based thing, um, would be traumatic experience. Um, that's something I mentioned that because it's not necessarily neurochemical it, it is uh, something that that a person's environment or history has done to them such as sexual abuse physical abuse maybe even emotional abuse that's so, right exactly yeah or, or uh, an incredibly neglectful environment it can be you know obviously uh, things like even natural disasters or stuff like that but usually um, that has a pretty finite, um, sort of coping window where people are able to adjust to that being true in their life, and, um, and and they're able to move past it. Some of the more systematic and kind of relational um, traumas that tends to be the kind of stuff that stymies a client's ability to to do what we're coaching them in, and um, at, at that point. Um, It's kind of like grabbing the gear, so to speak, of clinical mental health can be good because we're able to assess if um, adjusting the neurochemistry might be helpful. Uh, I liken um, psychiatric medications to being a good set of cleats. Not everybody's trying to play softball, right? And so they don't need cleats at all. But if you're trying to play softball, um, even if you're a really quick runner, if you'd also like traction, sometimes it's really nice to have a good set of cleats. It's not absolutely necessary for a lot of people, but it can really make the effectiveness of the strategies that we try to teach um, a, a lot higher. The other of the the two categories that I mentioned um, initially is if if a client seems to not be able to sustain their efforts, like their their will is okay, um, but but there's sort of a longer term or a deeper down nature. their needs like it's very historical for instance you know like they they need to really work at a deep level on hurts that their dad caused right Uh, maybe it's not a traumatic thing but but there's a lot to unpack even at the level of their identity Um, or if if progress is, is sort of slower or the, the increments of progress is, uh, is smaller than they seem to be able to sustain their efforts for, a lot of times I think that's a great situation where clinical mental health can uh, can be a good referral. Um, just because there's just more in our training is in terms of places to go um, uh, with the work that we do with the client that can keep them progressing suitably. Sometimes it's
1: just memorizing another scripture is not going to get you over some of those hurdles. I mean, yes. just because you know, there, there's just that thing. Is there like, okay, this is a really big indicator. Is there like mm-hmm. one of those stuff? I don't want to just pigeonhole and say, yes, this one thing. If you see this, yeah, we need right. to go um, for medical reasons. Right. Are there some specific things that maybe you can look and see?
0: Yeah, you know, honestly, um, to the listening audience, you know, I can cur- encourage you pretty confidently if, if you come across some, some kind of moderate to severe depression that just is not responding to what you're doing, um, that this person kind of maintains a low level of, of almost like a suicidal posture to life, um, then it, it, as soon as you identify that, I'd say send them to us. Um, you know, not, not just from a liability standpoint in terms of what it takes sometimes in a process to maintain safety for those clients, but really without medicine, nothing is going to help a chronic depressive symptom. Um, you know, memorizing a scripture verse. Uh, is just not that's not going to be able to do it and obviously I know that's not all that pastors do right. but it you know it's one of those things where to get that that individual the greatest amount of help early on um, that's a, a great thing to refer for um, I would say um, anxiety that hits a, a counselee at the level of panic attacks. Um, if they are reporting to use some symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder um, that have any amount of disruption. What would, uh, what would some of those be? So um, if they have uh, basically the, the compulsion to clean or count or to complete, you know, other ritualistic kind of things. Um, if uh, a lot of times um, it can even involve um, sort of the the self soothing behaviors um of like pulling out their hair um that's called trichotillomania ttm um it can be uh you know um, basically an overdrive of anxious energy in, in somebody's body that's manifesting in a way that that's disruptive to their daily life um, that kind of stuff, uh, it's really difficult to get that to respond with kind of office interventions alone. Um, and, and especially the panic stuff, um, if that process isn't disrupted pretty readily, um, then that can compound on itself um, pretty quickly. Um, the Kind of the third thing I've mentioned is, uh, is a, a class of challenges that, that clinical mental health deals with called personality disorder. Um, and that's that's even hard for us to get it to respond because it's basically a fundamental malformation way back in in childhood um, uh, as far as how somebody's oriented to what they expect in the relational universe that they're in is this primarily a safe place for me or primarily a dangerous place Mm. Um, and not just at a certain level relationships are dangerous but wholly they are dangerous they develop very powerful strategies to, to try to cope within kind of the, the threatening space of relationships. Um, you know, a lot of times they're known by, um, having like very dramatic, intense responses to any, um, relational matter, you know, of course, most, especially in marriage. Um, but it, a lot of times they might be folks who, who seem to sow disunity into the membership, um, that they, they're kind of never content. There's always something wrong. There's always an apology that needs to be made or, or that kind of a thing, um, that that can sort of be a, a problem that's rooted in the formation of somebody's personality, um, and that that might be a good thing to go ahead and pitch to us because it takes some very systematic strategies.
1: So if we're gonna get, get to a point with someone, we're like, I think we need to refer you to somebody who's more long term,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because honestly, most pastors probably don't have the time for you know, the next nine months, an hour or two a week with one person. Right. Just, the schedule doesn't do that. For most people, some might can. Sure. Um, and probably we're not trained for the most part to do that type of level of counseling in that depth. Right. Um, so how would you, one, go about referring that person to a counselor? Saying, How do you suggest, hey, you know, I think you may need to go see... A psychologist, I think you're crazy. You know, that's what people are. <laughs> I don't want people to hear, hey, I think you're yeah. crazy. You need to see someone else. I'm not trying to just throw you off, but right. I really think this would be a better long term fit for you. Yeah. How do you develop, how do you do that one with that person? And two, how do we as pastors, how can we go about developing relationships with counselors, one that we
0: trust to send people to, right.
1: and uh, kind of build a rapport with them?
0: Yeah, no, those are great questions. I think, you know, to the client, um, that can be sometimes a tricky uh, conversation to have. Uh, one of the things that, to me, it's helpful for pastors to be aware of is that. You know, whereas with counselors like me, we we do a lot of work to diminish the power differential in the relationship, right? We want it to be non-imposing and very free and that kind of thing. Um, And and despite y'all's best efforts, it's important for you to know people put you always in a place of not just spiritual authority, but relational authority. Like there's in our business, we have what's called transference. We kind of feel like a, a type of person Um, to every client that we see. Maybe I feel like their brother. Usually to a lot of kids, I feel like an uncle or a youth pastor. I may feel because I'm a man like somebody's dad or that kind of a thing, but they begin to adopt kind of the counterpoint to, to me being in that role. Um, and, and I gotta watch that to, to manage this power differential, but everybody puts their pastors inadvertently, though it may be, in a position of authority over them and, and accommodating that when you have a conversation like this isn't working and and that type of stuff, I, I think that's really important because, and it would be inadvertent, I'm sure, but, but again, um, the, the client could develop this concept of, well, I'm too difficult even for my pastor right like you know not that clinical mental health to them would be the big guns or or whatever like y'all are the big guns you know
1: pastor can't even help me what
0: exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and so so one of the things um to to kind of um uh hedge our bets against that and and really get to the crux of the matter i think honestly ben you you verbalized it really well um that that we've tried the best that we can together at this and to get you the the help that truly you need um, then there, there is sort of a more strategic approach to this right? And just being aware of the fact that, you know, regarding stuff that doesn't respond relatively readily to the, the spiritual uh, principles that pastoral counseling would engage them with, then that thing is clinical mental health counseling, right? Which, you know, for the distinction, that doesn't always involve psychiatry. I think it's an important thing. Within our treatment engagement with clients, we talk with our client about whether psychiatry makes sense. Um, now, the, the second part of that question, I think, is really key, too, because you know, um, uh, psychology as a field emerged out of philosophy, which I really love because philosophy is the space that you fit theology into. Right? It's where you do worldview tinkering, and I I love that. Um, and uh, but what it's grown into um, is is a lot of secular humanistic nonsense effectively. Um, there's like, I'll go ahead and tell you people who are listening. There's a lot of nonsense that's out there in, in the broader, uh, psychology scope. Um, and so I'd I'd say the best advice is if, if you want to have a referral relationship with a counselor who you trust, seek out a counselor that you can trust. And that's not necessarily personally for yourself as a client, but I would say at least personally as like a lunch buddy, Um, as, as a confidant, as somebody who you can, you can know personally well enough that you trust their theology, um, because counseling more so than any other profession that's medically related is a real relationship. Like our business is relationship. Um, and it's not like, you know, John's theology is imposing on, on his clients. You know, I'm, I'm not sort of calling the shots for my clients. And if they'll mock their life up, like I direct, then, you know, um, It'll be well with them because I'm some guru, but it really is to me like a a discipleship rhythm, almost like Paul and Timothy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's sort of, uh, these are principles that we can know are healthy um, uh, because hopefully me as a counselor, I'm doing them as I follow Christ and and if we all as as a body of believers together whether it's pastors counselors or members if we mock that up together kind of like you know Paul and Timbo then then we'll be able um, to to get to the pin which is true Christ likeness mm-hmm. all together and uh, to know sort of that that uh, to to know a counselor at the level that you could trust them to be doing that with clients uh, I think it takes um, developing, it, developing them into your network of, of people that that you're in the mix with. So you'd say one, you just need to get
1: to know some counselors. Maybe call them, hey, say, hey, I'm a pastor. I just wanted to get to know you as a counselor around here, especially as someone who advertises, hey, I'm a Christian counselor. Cause Absolutely. probably in most, at least suburban and metropolitan areas, there are some counselors around there who are going to at least claim to be a Christian counselor or biblically-based counseling. Sure, sure. Um what what are some questions you would ask to just as you, if you were, if you're going to go meet with that counselor and say mm-hmm. hey let's do lunch I want to just get to know you someone I can refer to because like you said there are a bunch of crazies out there in this in this <laughs> world there I don't can know be, if you yes. use those exact words but <laughs> there are some kooky people out there in the psycho psycho This health area. Yes, yes. (laughs) I don't know all the terminology. (laughs) But if you're going to sit down with somebody, maybe you don't know them. They're not a member of your church. You're not familiar with them, but they claim to be a Christian counselor. And you just want to develop a relationship to see, is this somewhere I could refer someone? What are just some quick assessment questions that you would just say, maybe weave into the conversation that would kind of give you a really good, no, this person is not going to have the same theological Leaning, bent, understanding, even view of scripture that mm-hmm. we do, because most of our listeners are probably conservative evangelical. Most of them probably even lean Baptist. Sure. So, how do we, how do we know and, and identify? Okay, yeah, this person. I don't know them, but here's some good diagnostic questions to assess
0: the counselor. Definitely, yeah. I think you know any counselor that that you would um, initiate a, a personal engagement like this. Um, it, it would be good, you know, not that every counselor has to be the most open person ever, but if they were comfortable to share along the lines of what their story of coming to faith in Christ is, Mm. um, if, if they would find it difficult themselves to articulate how they came to faith in Christ and how they're engaging that faith currently, odds are pretty favorable. They wouldn't have anything better than you to give the client, Mm. right? Um, you, you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have grace. You can't give grace. If You don't have forgiveness. You can't give give forgiveness. If if you don't if you're not engaging with the with the the principles that Christ shows us to live life in the Spirit, I don't know. Even if you have some pretty snappy interventions, I don't know if you can give a transcendent type of psychological help to clients. Right? So I'd say ask them about their faith.
1: You may have the degrees, but if you don't have the right relationship going into it with Christ, they're not going to be able to offer the true help anyway.
0: Yeah, I'd say you know credentials are just going to only carry you so far. There are a lot of really solid clinicians with awesome credentials and even specialized techniques and modalities. Um, but that, that wouldn't necessarily make those clinicians trustworthy for pastors. Right. Um, so in the way that you're comfortable, pastor, um, I, I would say, uh, ask these counselors, the same kind of question you might to try to, to find out, you know, if, if somebody who presents themselves for membership is, is fit for that, you know, not necessarily of your denomination, but, um, but basically are you qualified at that level of relationship with christ for for us to work together as as uh, members of the same body so to speak I think another thing might be to get to know um, what their experience is where they were trained um how uh, a question i love to talk about um which we don't have to or it could be another episode but uh how god called them to be a counselor right i, I know um, uh, a a thing that's very powerful is, um, uh, is to, to use the vocational space that we spend so much of our time, um, in life in, uh, in, in honoring, glorifying God, even if it's not a vocational ministry, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of, of people who are counselors, they feel called to help. Well, if God is the caller, that'd be a cool thing to get to know about their story and and you would be getting to know them as a person who may or may not be trustworthy Mm -hmm. at that level. If they're like, well, you know, honestly, I, I saw healthcare, you know, up and coming and, uh, it takes really good care of my family. Um, like that, that's not a bad reason per se, but if that's the best they come up with, I, you might have a tough decision to make.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Is their heart,
0: in helping people and
1: ministering to people and using this as an avenue for kingdom work, or, and it happens to support my family. Right. Or is it, hey, this supports my family well, and I yeah, I can use some Bible verses and I can <laughs> do that kind of stuff too. Exactly, you know, what, yeah. What's the primary for them? Those, that's that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Now, let's switch it a little bit again. If, say, we've got somebody we're not gonna refer, maybe we think mm-hmm. really they just need some spiritual counseling for, for the next little bit. Sure just get practical nuts and bolts here what are how long do you think it's wise in this pastoral type role for a counseling relationship where it's more than just the pastor congregant you know it's a more focused counseling relationship. How long do you think is wise? are there some really good tips for that that you would say to the to the lay counselor who's right. doing biblical pastoral counseling?
0: yeah, I'd say um you know, what comes to mind is probably three or four months. Um, I think uh, meeting, you know if, if things are really intense, meeting more than once weekly might be warranted, um, but that starts sounding like the, the degree of intensity that might be fit clinical mental health counseling anyways. Um, but on a once weekly basis over the course of three to four months, if if the counselee is not really responding to the best that you can give them, um, then you may be it, sort of approaching quickly that breakover point where it, it is more of a clinical matter rather than a pastoral one. Um, and uh, I really, it, to me, with, with my clinical clients, and, and hopefully this conveys uh, or, or transfers to the pastoral realm as well, um, I think unless the intensity indicates it, if somebody is kind of hungry to meet with you more than once a week, they're probably not leveraging their efforts themselves adequately. Um, that the responsibility it is is inadvertently being placed on the relationship or your interactions to carry them, instead of the the force of them actually using what is suggested or what is at hand. Um, here's the fact of the matter: is All of us need reminders of of what is true, even as God um, communicates uh, it to us. Um, but the fact of the matter also is, Scripture and and the things of God is absolutely sufficient. Mm-hmm for all of life. Right. Right. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that is, it uh, may be less so in, in pastoral care, but is very significant in, in uh, counseling is kind of the boundary of the role between the, the counselor and the client, the counselors, the guide, but the client, you know, think about it. They spend one week or uh, one hour a week, rather in our office, usually tops. There's a whole lot of life, outside of the office that's happening. And if they're not feeling the weight of owning their life on their own sufficiently, let me kind of soft pedal between sessions um, and, and kind of have you work harder at their life than them. Yeah. And I think that's really important to attend to. Yeah. And you do, there is that, yes, there is a relationship, but you
1: also have to maintain some separation there. I know, Love does boundaries. Right. And I've, <laughs> I've had people in my office and I was like, look, I met with you you a week ago, two weeks ago. You've not done any of the things we talked about. Right. Here's some steps, some things we need to do. I can't do that for you when you leave the office. You have to do this. You have to start making these changes and these thought pattern changes or these action changes if it's Mm -hmm. going to affect what you do. That's right. And so there there comes a point when if they're just not willing to, you're just like, you know. Maybe this isn't going the right way. Now I, I think what you talked about the relationship would this be the case? I I know it is. I think in pastoral counseling maybe not so much in clinical. I don't know because mm-hmm. uh, I've told some people we've been met and we've met for a while. We just don't seem to be going anywhere. And I, I've told them I said, look, I don't think I've told you anything wrong or unbiblical, or unhelpful. I think it may just be we're not the best fit for this type of relationship we can be friends maybe we're in the same life group maybe we're in the same group of friends I, maybe you just need to hear these same things from somebody else and it because i think there is the aspect of just depending on who you're hearing it from can make a difference and i've referred people to other pastors on staff who've told them the exact same things i told them it's like oh and it just like a light bulb came it just on. clicked is, is that mm-hmm. true in the clinical
0: world too sometimes absolutely yeah you know uh ideally counselors and even pastors I know probably try to do this as well you know we can get as close to being all things to all people as possible right right? you know Paul even recommends that as as a uh, as an approach, but kind of literally getting there is impossible. And since it is a real, you know, it's heavily boundaryed and highly specific, but it, but it's a real relationship. Like I'm genuinely drawn, John trying to strategically help them in in my distinctly John esque way uh, with this counseling matter. And sometimes, as as much as I try to to make my approach sort of fit what style they need it it's just not going to work um the way that i communicate things is uh is not what they need Uh, maybe some transference is in the way like there there's this this kind of deep down like um i i'm i'm hitting their heart in a way that they're just too guarded um, even if there's nothing I'm doing, maybe I feel too much like an authority figure, that kind of stuff. Um, th- those are very real things in the counseling interaction. Uh, and being able to to kind of sense that and, and sort of go with your gut in those moments, um, I think is really wise. And uh, and um, to feel comfortable mentioning to the counselee that, you know, there there's nothing wrong that either of us are doing. But and they probably sense it too. If you sense tension, they probably sense tension as well. like just that thing in the way. And it can be a relief for for the pastor in this situation to kind of guide them to the realization that yeah, there's that tension there and, and you and I are probably not going to get there and a referral is a really good next step. And I think even sometimes it's
1: not a even a tension. it's just that mm-hmm. sometimes it's just the they know you too well. Sure. They need a different voice coming in. Because I I referred someone once for a relationship issue and was like, Uh you know, I'm not leaving you. I just think for right now, where you are, this person, this couple, could help you better than I can right now. It's not you uh-huh. it's not you it's me it's, <laughs> I'm, i i'm the one who i i don't think i need and what you need right now because right. i know what's going on here i think this other person this other ministry this other resource this group even sometimes mm-hmm. can make more of a difference in your life than i'm able to and that's yeah. that takes a little bit of humility on our part
0: it to does. say Yeah, i
1: can't fix your problems yeah which we can't anyway the gospel does god does that anyway but we right. like to be fixers absolutely but recognizing, you know, maybe it's time for them to move somewhere else and support them. Say, I'm still here. I'm cheering for you. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader back here. Still here if you need somebody.
0: Yeah. But, well, and an interesting look at that same matter is, you know, transference is almost this this element where you know, unbeknownst or, or unintentionally. Um, uh, sort of from the standpoint of either the counselor or the client, the relationship matters too much at mm-hmm. some level, whether it's negative intention or whether it, it's positive And there's almost like this pleasing effect. The relationship matters too much for it to do the work of being free for the client to engage in. I think there's probably a lot more likelihood um, for the relationship to kind of mean too much to a counselee when it's with their pastor, mm-hmm. because there's, there's, Definitely, at least kind of the um, the worship experience life that is shared with one another, and of course, the more points of engagement and ministry you have with that member, um, then the more elements of it mattering more than just kind of the counseling matter that are stuffed into the same relationship. And I, I think you know, uh, maybe a kind of a pro tip for referring to those situations if if you can make sure to to refer them to a pastor on staff that matters less. <laughs> that that's strange to say, but you know that that there are maybe it, fewer points of engagement with.
1: Yes, not that their role is less important. That's exactly not right. not sending them to the youth pastor or the children's pastor just because that's where their role, but <laughs> that's where right. their their interactions, their relationship is less. Yes,
0: yeah, where where there there might not be such an inc, uh, inclination to please or rebel or some of these unseen things. That, that can keep a client from just being absolutely open to trying what you share or to to being honest uh, with themselves into yeah. that situation. And you might
1: even look outside your church, especially if you're on a small church staff who only has one or two on staff, and you say, sure, maybe find another pastor, another youth minister in town that y'all could have kind of a sponsoring relationship where they send some of their people to you and you to them because you trust each other you know how they counsel absolutely you're not trying to take their people they're not trying to take yours but you can have this partnership where you can outsource a little bit to each other yes that you know they're going to get good biblical advice without having that relationship because there is what's been called it doesn't have to be there at times what's called the curse of the counselor Right. Once once this person knows too much about me, it's like, oh, I'm not going back there. So exactly, yeah. Want to like guard against
0: that? They feel overexposed, or what? What we call sharers remorse, like, oh, I said too much, and now you know my my pastor is going to change the way they view me, or change the way that they engage with me, or that kind of a thing. Um, and, and referrals like that outside the church can definitely ward off that. Um, but but also especially for churches that that may have uh, smaller staff or that kind of a thing. I mean, thankfully our team's big enough where where I have a lot of people in our own clinic that I can refer to. But I can list you no know, fewer than half a dozen um, clinicians in this single town that I trust enough, who communicate differently than I do, who their their wheelhouses complement mine, and and we share clients back and forth continuously just because we reach a, um, a complication in a matter that a client's trying to work on that we can't see them through. Yeah. And, and we wanna keep the process moving, and so it just needs to be with somebody else.
1: Yep, that's good Good information, good advice. Well, John, thanks for joining us on Chair Two Leaders. It's been a fun conversation. I've enjoyed yes. it, I'm happy to have you back and explore some of these some more at a future date. But I think one of the keys is know some of your limits, When it comes to counseling and get to know some other counselors in town, get to know some other pastors that you can help lean on and they can help lean on you as well in times when they need it and build some of those relationships. How, again, can people get in touch with you or find you if they want to connect with you or your, your ministry? Absolutely. So our
0: clinic is called Christian Perspective Counseling. And uh, we've got all kinds of different ways to contact us at our website, www.cpcarkansas.com. You can chat with us right through there. You can email me directly. You can call the clinic. And uh, we, you know, just like the last part of our conversation, we know we may not sort of get the job or be the the resource that people need um, in every client situation, but we love just to connect people with who they need to be with, even if it's not us.
1: And if they're not in the central Arkansas area, would
0: you have some resources that could help connect them wherever? they may be around the country. Um, absolutely we we can uh, leverage some of our administrative bandwidth to kind of research referrals for folks Um, I would mention this you know not I'm not a paid spokesperson but focus on the family actually has a really great network of certified um, Christian counselors uh, that they they vet through an application process but who also do clinical mental health counseling uh, just like us and and so in terms of nationwide resources that's one that I know off the top of my head that has a good directory of such things so wherever you are find someone that you can go to to because if you
1: haven't been in a situation where you need to refer someone chances are that day will come probably sooner rather than later these days yes that's right (laughs) well thanks john for being here with us thanks for listening in to chair two leaders this week make sure you like uh, and reply and respond on wherever you listen to podcasts follow us on social media so you can keep up with what's going on and we'll catch you next time
0: you've been listening to chair two leaders Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates, and make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Chair 2 Leaders wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.